Welcome to the Whole Church Podcast, your favorite church unity podcast, probably. If you want to hear from pastors, professors, and everything in between, right, sure. And, you know, the occasional train talk. Right, right, yeah. Uh, have we got the podcast for you? Hey, everybody, welcome to the Whole Church Podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Knoll, and your co host, Tiberius Wallen, is here as well. TJ, it's TJ. Wow. No, it, it's Tiberius. Pleasure to be here. <laughs> yeah, and we have a guest with us. Peter Ends, we're going to introduce in a second, but first, you're going to beg them for money? Um, sure. Please, give us money. Uh, consider uh, supporting us on Patreon, Yeah, if yeah, you like great. what we're putting out here. Uh. <laughs> yeah, and of course, you can follow us on our Facebook page and Instagram. That's where we do most of our communicating with our audience and corresponding with you guys and what you guys would like us to hear from us or any feedback you guys have on how we can do this podcast better, because we're always looking to improve. Yeah. Right. Anything else we need to introduce for ourselves before we jump in? Uh, we have a special announcement, but we'll save that for the end of the show. Ooh, I forgot about yeah. that. Yeah, that was fun. All right, yeah, so y'all just keep listening. Y'all hear some great stuff later. Um, but yeah, so we're here with Dr. Peter Enns, who's the host of his own podcast, The Bible for Normal People, which is a great podcast where he just kind of breaks down the Bible for normal, normal people. people. Yeah. yeah, And he was a... Was it, was it Harvard alumni? Was it? Yeah. Did Harvard, he, he graduated from Harvard. Did you do your seminary at Harvard or was that your bachelor's? Oh, no. I my um, I did a PhD at Harvard and I did a bachelor's at Messiah College, which is in central, a Christian college in central Pennsylvania. Oh, and uh, yeah, and then I also have an, a Master of Divinity from Westminster Theological Seminary, which is also near um, near where I live now in suburban Philadelphia. Oh, wow. Do you like it in Philly? I've heard good things. Huh? Do you like it in I Philly? No, I don't like Philly. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm from the New York City area, like oh. Bergen County, New Jersey, so I grew up oh. with New York sports. It's definitely a sports thing here. And um, Philadelphia sports fans are stupid, ignorant, and ridiculous. And that's just uh, that's being nice and objective. So anyway, don't let anybody from Philadelphia hear this because they didn't come to my house. <laughs> <laughs> probably kill me. Do yeah. notice. If it helps, um, we live in Charlotte, and I hate Charlotte. So, mm. yeah, just just What's good wrong times. With Charlotte? Comes all right. It is a very, it's a unnecessarily busy. Like, there's not a lot of really fun, good things here, but mm-hmm. it's always busy. Like, the traffic's awful, the roads are awful, and it's just, it's just not my thing. It's just too crammed. Yeah, I like yeah. I like yeah. beaches. I like mountains. I like smaller towns. Mm. Or if I do go to a big city, I want there to be a lot of stuff to do. Yeah. So just not my cup of tea. I hear you. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. But yeah. So. Yeah, is there anything else the view- <laughs> viewers or we should know about you? Uh, I don't know. Um, yeah. Like I said, I teach uh, Bible at Eastern University, which is a Christian college uh, just outside the city limits of Philadelphia near Villanova University. People heard of that. And. Um, Probably if, if you don't if you haven't heard of Eastern University, you've probably heard of Tony Campolo, uh, who still teaches there and he's alum as, as well. Uh, Shane Claiborne is another and Brian Stevenson is probably, you know, by far our most famous alum who is doing a lot of work with racial reconciliation and justice in the court systems and he's been on Oprah and stuff like that. So oh, wow. So that's where I'm from, that little tiny school. Wow, man, that's cool. Uh, you are the third Peter we've had on this yeah, podcast. We officially really? have more Peters the than the Bible. Well, we had a uh, 
Well, we had Pete, like, to yeah. be fair, and Peter Beck. Yeah, they're oh. both um, two of my old, old professors from Charleston Southern University. Nice. Yeah, good. Good guys. So, yeah. So, uh, this will just be titled Third Peter. Yeah. I'll try to, <laughs> yeah, right. I'll, I'll try to keep up. I'll try yeah, to keep yeah. up with the whole Peter tradition here. Oh, yeah. Uh, the Peters are some of my favorites. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So far, they're all just no good, smart people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess. Yeah, man. It's good stuff. I'll go with it. So, uh, what we'd like to do before we really jump to the meat of it, we like to start with an icebreaker question. Ironic. Interesting. <laughs> the last <laughs> person who tried an icebreaker game with me is now dead. Physically dead, I killed him. Just you know, but go ahead. Please, right. go ahead. Uh, all right, so TJ, do you want to do the icebreaker exciting. question? So, our icebreaker question for this show <laughs> is... <laughs> What is your favorite kosher animal? It doesn't have to be to eat. <laughs> not your favorite to eat. Just yeah. what's your favorite kosher animal? <laughs> I was thinking to myself, they can't ask me anything like that. Because like, my two really bad experiences with uh, icebreaker games was, you know, what's, what's your favorite farm, favorite farm animal? I'm like, after cow, I'm out of ideas. Because <laughs> I'm going to suburb. Or... Or what's your favorite cloud formation? No, what cloud formation do you feel we've like? We've done right that now? before. Yeah, we've definitely asked that. Cloud I'm like, question. I don't even know what they're called. I don't have the names of the cloud. <laughs> it's like an idiot, you know. Those. Yeah. Anyway, so okay. My favorite kosher animal. Kosher animal. Oh, we gosh. can go first, and it would make you feel better. Yeah. I wish. I wish. I wish. I wish pig were kosher, but it's not. It's so um. It's best though. I don't know. I don't. I, I. You know. I've never given that any serious thought. So congratulations. <laughs> so uh, what's yeah. yours? My yeah. favorite kosher animal is a hippopotamus. Okay. Because they are kosher. It turns out. Okay. Um. Question: Are sea turtles kosher? No, they're not. Man. Oh yeah, yeah. No reptiles. No, it has to have scales and fins. Yeah. And it lives in the water to be kosher. Right. Wow. Right. Mm-hmm. Man, that is a little tough. This is a tough question. I mean, I never thought about it. I was just stuck on hearing you say hippo, and then my brain didn't go there itself. Yeah. Does tuna have scales? It does. Tuna has scales and fins. Okay. I'll go with that then. I do like tuna. I love tuna. Yeah. I'm not a big fish people. person. I once was uh, almost to the point where I ate an eel. Oh, wow. That's not a, great. An eel. And that this was like in, in uh, I was in Korea, and I don't speak Korean remotely. Oh, I would have eaten you in Korea. <laughs> and, I, and I ordered something based on the picture in the menu, and it looked like a filet trout or something. And it brought it to me, and it smelled really funny. And I was with my two South Korean hosts, and I, I looked at it, and I looked at them, and I said, what is this? <laughs> and, and they sort of conferred with each other, and one of the hosts said, Snake of the sea. Snake of the I sea. I said I ordered eel, so I just didn't eat it. Mm. Yeah, I'm horrible. I'm a very picky eater, so. Mm. But to answer your question, Joshua, no, bald eagles are not kosher because they're birds of prey. Hmm. See, this is a really tough one. Are dogs kosher? No. What is kosher? Uh, what is kosher? Anything that chews cud. And has a split hoof. Is cow. Cow. I'll say cow. I like burgers a lot. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's the easiest thing I could possibly get. I feel like. Yep. Yeah. Oh, it took you a long time to get there. <laughs> All right. Uh, so yeah. now we can jump into the real questions that we actually. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that wasn't it. That's. <laughs> not, I thought the whole interview. No, that actually. Yeah, that, that was actually that's the whole podcast. That, that, yeah, we. we Thanks just for your time. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> no problem. 
So, uh, the first question is, well, what's it what's it like to be well known? <laughs> yes. That's you're the oh, most famous person yeah. we've had on the podcast. Oh, really? Yeah, definitely wow. the only person who we can look up. I really and be greeted with a Wikipedia page. Yeah, I just okay. I couldn't imagine having my own wiki page. That's just weird. Yeah. So, yeah. have you noticed it like affect you in any way? Um, it probably does. You know, I just I don't. I'm not trying to sound like oh shucks guys. I just don't really. First of all, I'm not nearly as like well known as most people that I interact with. You know, like whether it's you know Rachel Hold Evans who just passed away recently, oh, or or people with you know hundreds of thousands of uh, Twitter followers. I just don't have that. You know, so I'm sort of a a lower tier person who happens to just write books and have a podcast and. And make some noise every once in a while, and and starts conversations that I think people want to be a part of. So, um, I guess I guess what I'm saying is famous is is relative, and I just don't I don't think about it that way. And it, and it sort of freaks me out when I like go someplace and somebody actually recognizes me. That doesn't happen that often, but it has happened. And it's like you've got to be kidding me. How, how do you, oh wait a minute you, you listen to the podcast or something? So yeah. Um, and I also, I mean, I'm very conscious of the fact that Jesus doesn't need me, mm-hmm. you know, needs none of us. So, you know, it's, it's fine. You know, it's just, I get to do something and, you know, you're at it long enough and people are going to notice. And so you're known by them, but it's still a very small slice of the human population. So like, does it make you feel weird that people can just look your name up and find out how many kids you have or something? Not really. Cause what do I care? I mean, that's, that doesn't. I'm not concerned about that. I mean, I don't have like my bank account information, or anything, <laughs> you know, on there. So it's like, okay, I, 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 I want you to know, I have a wife and three kids. Yeah, right. Yeah, um, you know, I have a wife and three kids, adult children. But um, you know, people generally know the town that I live in. It's there someplace, you know, and you know what courses I teach at, at Eastern, and you know what books I've written, and and um, you know, I I try to be pretty transparent anyway. You know, I don't like to have an online or public persona that's really that much different from the one that I have with my friends and and family. You know, that's and and I really do like the fact that people, when they meet me, when they read my books and then they meet me, they say, yeah, I can't really tell the difference. You know, when, when I read your book, I can hear your voice or, you know, you're talking to me now the way you you know, post things on Twitter or blog. And I think to me, that's very important because it's about authenticity, being being genuine. Yeah. 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 Why not? I mean, it's, it's, why not be yourself? Man. Well, I feel like that also keeps people from like, you know, doing the gotcha thing. Like, uh, I read your book, but you're not really like that. Uh, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah, Cause you know, if, if that's perceived as hypocritical, your people will, Maybe want to point that out to you. Sometimes okay. they'll point it out because they're actually helpful. Other yeah. times they point it out just because Despite. they're people of ill will, you know, and, and, yeah. and you have to sort of do that. So probably the, the hardest thing about this is it's, it's disconcerting to me how many people there are really of ill will out there who hang out in like Christian kinds of conversations. And it's not people who disagree with you. You know, it's not, it's not like disagreement. It's not even strong disagreement or, you know, ends. I think you have a screw loose. It's not that. It's people <laughs> who really just are full of animus. They're, 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 they're just really angry people who, 
probably need to have several therapists on retainer just to get them <laughs> through the day, you know. Um, yeah. But that's that's the thing. It's like you know, man, that's you're really nasty here. You know, like why are you doing this? So, but there's a delete button, you know, or a hide button. So I I have to do that every once in a while. But you know, apart from that, it's it's not bad. Alright. So it doesn't affect you very much at all to be sort of famous. I don't think so. Um, you know, cool. I, I just I don't think it does. And and maybe it deep down there are things happening to me that I'm not conscious of and I'm totally on board with that because, you know, we're not always aware of ourselves all the time, all the way through, you know. So so I, I try to keep um I just try to stay attentive to what's going on in me, you know, and, and try to always turn the finger back pointing at me, so to speak. Not like what's wrong with those people out there. But, you know, Pete, why is this affecting you this way? Oh, you don't like being challenged, do you? Why don't you like being challenged? Ah, because of your ego. So then, then you sort of turn it back to yourself and, and it becomes more of a healing and, um, restorative moment, you know. So even the negative stuff has, I think, a positive effect. Yeah. All right. Cool. Man. Hopefully which, we can find out one day. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Man. Which, uh, I guess kind of leads us to the big question, I guess you'd say. Uh-oh. Yeah. The, you wrote a paper back in, I think it was 2008. Okay, I'll take your word for it. What was it? <laughs> that was, um, what, what was the title of the paper? Ooh, I, I, I know I, it had to do with Genesis. And it was, um, it was what Westminster, that they voted on, and had you, what was it, was it suspended? Yeah. Uh, over certain beliefs, because some... Was it some pastor didn't want to send their people from their congregation to the seminary? And um, there's, there's a whole big mess about the paper. That, it was uh, Inspiration and Incarnation, I believe. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the book. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah the book. That, that book came out in 2005, but mm. that so-called controversy um, came to a head in 2008. But, okay, okay. okay. Now, I know, now I know what you're talking about. Okay. <laughs> Got it. Gotcha, yeah. That's what we're um, seeing as how we're... All about church unity and all. It was uh, really grabbed my attention how, e- even through all the voting process, everybody seemed to kind of be split on where they stood on this. And the whole suspending someone over their belief seems very not church unity to me. A very. Yeah. 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 Well, the thing is, you know, th- you have to think think of it this way, that. There's unity. I mean, the other side would argue exactly the way you're arguing, that we need unity, but part of that unity is theological unity. And, you know, the, the, the school where I taught Westminster has a particular tradition that it defines as it defines it, but it's a particular kind of Calvinist tradition that um, they, they want to uh, protect and, and to uphold and to maintain. And the perception was that things that I was writing were not doing that, right? So, so the things that I think every institution, every movement has parameters, has boundaries. And I was perceived by a minority of the faculty and at first a minority of the board uh, as probably crossing the line, but then politics got the way it went and, and you know, things got a little bit more, um, tense, let's say, over about a two, three-year period. But um, 
see the real battle there at Westminster was more who gets to write the narrative of that tradition because in defense of inspiration and incarnation, we produce, we meaning the majority of the faculty, we produced a very lengthy paper simply citing chapter and verse of our tradition of people who were saying very similar, if not identical things to what I was saying in that book, inspiration and incarnation. But, um, you know, as we all know, the who gets to tell the story, who gets to tell the history is the winners. Yeah. And and that's sort of what happened. That's more. So I think, you know, to, to sort of cast that in a in a framework of church unity, sort of in an abstract sense, won't get at what's really there. It's more who gets to define the tradition. But then more importantly, and this is maybe where unity comes into it. Not only who gets to define the story, who gets to define the tradition, who gets to define the history, but how do you address fellow brothers and sisters who you perceive as not being a, not not supporting that? Like, do you do you slander them? Do you um, work back channels to try to get them far? In other words, do you get political, or do you rise to another level and try to you know address it differently? You know, um, that's that's the question there. And I and I think that's unfortunately prevalent in, in a lot of Christian institutions that especially those that have a history of um, equating gospel fidelity with fighting. And there's a lot of that. That's that's largely, you know, the history of American fundamentalism and Southern Baptists are known for that. Neo-Calvinists are known for that and other people as well, yeah. other groups. And that's, you know, that's just the way it is sometimes and you know i i left i i wasn't i wasn't fired i i resigned um i resigned um in my mind three or four months before it became public that i did resign just because i could see that this is going nowhere and i don't want to do this rest of my life and and i tell you i'm glad that i did you know it was a great decision it's given me a lot of perspective and now it's that's about 11 years ago and um i'm thankful you know i'm thankful for where i am yeah, so it's not all bad things. It wasn't just like this horrible split from your university or your seminary. It was well, more or it less was pretty. Amicable. Well, no, not really. No. It was it was not amicable, but only on paper was it amicable. But you know that's how these things usually go. And when people ask me, "Did you get fired? Did you resign?" I usually say, "I got resigned." <laughs> In other words, I could see where it was, I was going. Told and I could, to quit. Yeah. Well, I I knew where it was going. It was very obvious to me because I didn't think that I would really get justice in um, where, where what I'm saying would be really looked at with a um, with a fair gaze. Yeah, with a fair gaze. I really and, and I, that's I'm not imagining that I was hardly alone in coming to that determination. Yeah, and especially, think- you know, you have a tradition there that began in, in the 1920s as a belligerent movement to separate from liberal Presbyterians. And that's part of the DNA of the school that, you know, to be a faithful Christian means to seek out enemies, foreign or domestic, and destroy them. That's that's how you're, wow. you're a soldier. You know, that's how you're faithful. And, you know, destroy, I mean that metaphorically, not, yeah, not yeah. physically, obviously, but um, to... No to, more crusades. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So just just sort of emotional or professional crusades, but not physical ones. So, you know, and that's that's part of that tradition um, you know, and, and that's the way it is. And, you know, I'm, 
and I mean this in the in the most positive way that I can put it. I'm glad that I'm no longer a a a willing accomplice in a tradition that exists to correct other Christians. And again, it's not just this little school that did that. It's 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 endemic in a lot of, I think, American or, or Western uh, ecclesiastical contexts. Yeah. No, I, I I can definitely see that. Yeah. A lot and of fear, you know, of protecting of protecting the fort. You know, there's a lot of fear. Like we have to, who we are, we have to protect at all costs, and we can't change. There's no evolution in thinking. Which I actually think is intellectual idolatry. I think if you're dealing with the infinite God, you will change right. what you think. You know, so. Yeah. I can see that. I think I can agree to that. That was, uh, and it is interesting. There's nothing wrong, I don't think, with correcting others or stating your opinion. Sure. But it's weird how it's almost like, yeah, you know, like, like you said, like militant. Like, oh, how dare you think that when we think this? All this right. kind of deal. And they, they seek it out and try and. Was it nip it in the bud, as Barney would say? Mm. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, great yeah. show. You know, but I, I think um, one my, the experience I had at Harvard with Jewish professors and sort of learning things from them was very helpful to me exactly for that reason. Because I, after I graduated from Harvard, I went to teach at Westminster. And within a year or so, I came back to Harvard with a couple of my colleagues for a conference on, on, on Judaism and like the study of the Bible. And some of my old professors spoke there, but I, I remember like hearing this, the, this lecture and somebody's lecturing and afterwards for Q and a, one guy gets up and he goes, you're crazy. You don't know what you're talking about. It's blah, blah, blah. And another guy what? gets up and says, no, you shut up. You're not crazy. He's, you're crazy. He's crazy. You're not crazy. <laughs> and basically, but you see at the end, they all walked out arm in arm and had lunch. Fascinating. Because that, that's that's you can you can actually go after people's ideas without having it taken personally. Without attacking the, them. Well, right. And the thing is that you know my experience, at least, is with you know I'm not sure evangelicals or Christians in general do it that way. No, it's more no. you get stabbed in the back six months later in a journal article where they didn't like you had no idea what these people were thinking. They didn't just air it out. And I think you know, I, I've often wondered what the psychology of that is. But, yeah. can you, even, you know, it's like attack yeah. journalism. Can you really call those yeah. people Christian? Well, that's not I mean, for me to say. You know, I mean, I've got my own problems. And, yeah, um, it's just I think you can just, you know, they're the just mindset not instead of trying to stab people. Uh, that's just I yeah, know. I mean. I, I, I just I, I don't yeah. know the people. I can't say, but it it just doesn't it doesn't seem like a it's Christian. It's above my mindset. pay grade to make yeah. that conclusion. You know, yeah. I just think that we all are dysfunctional people, and we all have things to work on. And the the bigger problem behind it is not being aware enough to look at yourself. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. the thing that I've sort of grown to see over the past ten fifteen years. It's actually really cool. To <laughs> You know, Richard Rohr, you know, I like Richard Rohr. I don't know if yeah. you guys get but he, he said something. I don't think, I didn't see this in a book, but I heard it in a lecture. This is like at least 10, 11 years ago. He said the difference between religion and like a, a, a good, healthy spirituality, he'd call it, is that religion is always looking outside and saying, what's wrong with them? What's wrong with them? What's wrong with them? In the spiritual journey, all that stuff is turned inward towards yourself. What am I learning here about myself by how I'm reacting to this? And when I heard that, I said, wow. why didn't anybody ever tell me this? 
that makes so much sense. It's not just we're right. Everybody thinks they're right. We're right, and the enemy's out there. We have to change them. Man. And the and Calvinism That's is particularly stuff. at least narrow sort of neo fundamentalist Calvinism is more prone to thinking that way, and they have a lot of brain power to back that up, but they still think that way. And and again, Southern Baptists, not all of them. I know people who are Southern Baptists who hate what has happened to the Southern Baptist denomination, but as a system. You know, it's very biblicistic, very proof text oriented with complex layers of apologetics around everything. And, yeah. you know, that's, you know, that's, that, that's the tough tribe to sort of be a part of. And, you know, th- and looking in on their own failings is just never, it just doesn't come up, at least publicly. It's like, well, we know we're right. Yeah. Now let's yeah. go talk about, let's, hey, we'd really like to talk to you about this problem as long as you realize we're right and you're wrong and you have to change. Mm-hmm. It's very prideful. Almost, yeah. Man. It is. I still root it in fear. I mean, I don't want to sort of reduce everything to that, but I think yeah. fear of you've been taught your whole life yeah, that your spiritual existence is about being right, and it's about being certain about what you know. And and once you achieve that, you don't want to let go of it if your whole spiritual life is wrapped up in that. So I think people react belligerently. Yeah, Sometimes just because they're afraid, yeah. and I yeah, understand that too. You know, who hasn't done that? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I even had a personal friend who I remember talking to about some of the Genesis stuff. Sort of what a lot of what you wrote about, like whether Adam's historical character or anything like that. And I actually remember it was weird. He was just really honest and went, "I'm not comfortable thinking about this. If this isn't true, then how do I know anything I believe is true?" And it was just so right. weird because it's. A lot of people. A lot of people are there. I think where it's it's scary to think outside of what you've always been taught. Yeah. Right, and and for people like that, like you don't drop a bomb on them and force them to think through it. If they're not ready to think through stuff, then they're not ready. God loves them anyway. You know, it's like they're not bad people. It's just we all have our psychologies, we all have our backgrounds, we all have our experiences, and it's not for everyone to sort of be dumped on. Like you know, I teach college students. I don't dump on eighteen year olds my latest thought of, you know, synthesizing, you know, all of Christian theology or something. I just, that's (laughs) not fair to them. You know, they're at a different place. I want to affirm them where they are, but also help them see that there's a lot of room to grow here in the Christian faith. And, and sometimes people are ready for that. And sometimes they're not. And you have to sort of know the difference and, and work within that. And and basically it's, it's about respecting and loving other people, right? You have to accept what they are. And not just try to destroy them to build them yeah. into what you want. That doesn't help us. It doesn't, doesn't help anything. Anyone. We all well, like to be respected well, for especially, where we are. I mean, especially with the issues like like Genesis, where, and as far as I'm aware, it, it's good to think about, it's good to study, it's good to know this stuff and have the conversations, know what you believe. But at the end of the day, I, I don't think it impacts your salvation, whether or not Adam was historical or not. I think what Jesus did... What impacts salvation? Mm-hmm. If we can get them there, then we can talk about the other stuff after. Yeah, I agree. Although the problem is that for some varieties of Christianity, all those questions are locked into each other. And if you quote deny that Adam is a historical person, you're just on a slippery slope. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why accept anything? And I'm like, okay, that's a good question. That's called theology and hermeneutics. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about what biblical interpretation means and how. 
you treat different genres of literature differently. You have different expectations and, and how not every part of the Bible is created equal. Mm-hmm. There are things that are frankly more important for uh, the Christian faith than other things. And, but that it takes time to get into that kind of stuff. You know, not everybody is, is willing to have that conversation. And some people I know are just beautiful people who don't think. Right. And that's fine. You know, I'm not, my job is not to turn them into me. I think uh, you know? I've definitely been that person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the last thing I would say about that particular thing is just, uh, would like to point out there's a reason one of the logical fallacies is titled the slippery slope fallacy. Mm-hmm. That doesn't work. But yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, so <laughs> I know we spent a lot of time on that, that whole topic is big stuff, but, uh, we did actually originally, I got your content mm-hmm. from, uh, Dr. Friedman. Richard Friedman. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. Uh, I, because I read a lot. I read a lot. I read his books when I see them. Mm-hmm. Not actually that prevalent when I see them, but I, one of my favorite reads was um, "Who Wrote the Bible?" and he did that. Oh yeah, yeah. So I was recently reading. Uh, he had his Exodus book. I found your podcast where you're going through Exodus, and y'all just are destroying the Book of Exodus for me and making me rethink everything. <laughs> so thanks, guys. Hey, that's not our <laughs> fault. That's the fault of people who taught you. Uh, you know what I mean? It's like it's like don't put that guilt trip on me, pal. You know, it's not my fault I didn't that you were taught it. wrong you just didn't things. Know what it was. <laughs> it's not my fault that you were taught to skip over obvious things in the oh, text okay. if you take a moment just to read it. Sorry, I'm being snarky, but you know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, his his book was great, and um, yeah, I reached reached out to him, and he I think I think his only reason we he didn't was wasn't going to be on the podcast is he he wasn't Christian himself, and I was like, hey, you know, we. We don't care. We just want to talk about certain issues. Yeah. The one thing um, I originally reached out to, which I was also hoping to be able to talk to you about, is um, and he, he mentions it in his book too. There's almost kind of this scholastic religion divide, where like people in the religion are like, "Oh, this is sacred text," and as such, we don't want to hear the scholar stuff on it because they're questioning what we're kind of locked into here. And it's mm-hmm. almost like the two sides sometimes, where they should work together, don't always work together. Like what he was pointing out was um. It was, it was a very interesting thing in the book, the Exodus. He said, uh, "If we didn't have the Bible, you know, if we had all the other stuff first, and all of a sudden we dug up the Bible, we would be using that as, hey, this is what all this stuff we've been finding is." Yeah. But because we've had it first, and it's become this whole religion, we naturally assume, well, no, that that's not necessarily what happened. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like because we had it first, we don't use it the same way we could be. And I, it was just a weird perspective for me where I was like, oh man, mm-hmm. I, I never even thought of that. Does that sort of divide between religious people and, you know, those in the religion scholar, do you think that affects our ability to practice the religions as effectively as we could? Well, it, it, it can, I think, and it has, and it does. I don't think it has to, but you see, here, here's, I mean, here's my 30,000 foot view kind of answer to that question. Um, the religious traditions that we adhere to, whether it's some form of Protestantism or anything else, those those religious traditions got their – let's just stick with Protestantism because I'm guessing most of your listeners are probably Protestant. I'm Protestant, right? Yeah. That stuff got its start long before the modern period began. When people weren't aware of things like geological evidence or 
you know, evolution or any of the challenges from like the 19th century and 18th century, that that's when it was sort of easy, so to speak, to read the Bible and say, well, I guess this is basically just giving us history without questioning it. It's it's the it's scientific and archaeological and geological discoveries that started in the 18th century that really made people stop and say, you know, there's this story of a flood. It's from the Babylonians, and it's older than our story. Okay, what are you going to do with that? You see, we have certain we have questions and challenges that have been raised in the modern period that were not there beforehand, and it's we're living in a different sort of moment in history, and there is tension between those two. And I think though, what people and this is anecdotal, but what what I'm perceiving is that like more people are willing to know, understand that the Bible is worthy of more than simply treating it as a simplistic sort of history book, yeah. but that it's complex, it's theological, it's written at different times, different places for different reasons, and therefore different messages, and, and we can't fault people for Genesis 1, you know, and thinking yeah. – like ancient people when they talk about the creation of the cosmos, right? Or thinking that there must be two original humans because we know that when, you know, a man and a woman, you know, they do it and then yeah. they have a baby. Like, it's like, like everybody comes from from a, from an ori- from two, so mm-hmm. our, the whole human race had to begin with two. That's logical, you know. I mean, yeah. we know better now, so to speak, scientifically, but. You know, that, that's what they thought. And I don't, you know, I don't look at that and say, oh, what quaint little ancient dumb people. I say, <laughs> no, they're, they're talking about God in their world within the limitations of their context. And I talk about God within the limitations of my context. You know, one, one of the limitations that modern people have is that we tend to think that everything is rational and analytical and give me evidence. How many times have I heard people say, I need evidence for the existence of God. That's a very modern thing. That's, that's, that's a limitation as far as I'm concerned of the modern world. Because what if God is not an object out there that you have evidence for? What if God is not even a being? What if God is being? What if God is the ground of being? Which is like theologians talk like that and the, the Orthodox Church has, has talked like that. What if that's the reality? And what if your modern worldview is keeping you from seeing that possibility. I just think you're limited. You know, you're not rational for saying, I don't believe in God because there's no evidence. It's just you're asking a question that is beneath the dignity of the topic that you're discussing. Uh, we all have limitations. I have limitations. Well. I, limita- I don't even know what they are half the time. <laughs> right. that, that's that just being that. human, you know? Oh, and yet God works with that, I think. I mean, I... I- Pretty sure I've been told my fiance before that sometimes just me breathing is my limitation. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> you know, it just depends on the day. Yeah, I, I honestly right. think one of our biggest limitations as humans in the modern time is that we think we know things. Yeah, yeah we we know so much. Like three hundred right. years ago, <laughs> yeah, we didn't think cells existed. Yeah, was it yeah. five? Yeah, four, four years. Yeah, we didn't know cells right. existed. So, really, anything we know is just could be disproven within a hundred years because of something new we discovered. Well, and that's what's, what's interesting, the, the scholarly religious divide for me, just personally, when I went to UNCW, the public school, we had a class called the Bible as Literature. Mm-hmm. 
and it, I was forced to, for the purpose of the class, to read the Bible, all the different books, as literature. So for, for, for me, the first time ever, I'm looking at it not as a history book, not as every single thing is literally fact, and I was like, wow, this just removing that one limitation opened up so much more of the scripture, and I'm like, wow, that's just crazy. It was something that was scholarly that I think affected me big spiritually, just because yeah. I allowed it to. Taking and, it seriously as literature helps us see the theology of the texts at the end of the day, too. I mean, the literature, the literature is the vehicle by which the theology is communicated. And understanding more and more of the nature of that ancient literature helps us understand more and more of its theology. And whatever it is, it's not modern history. It just isn't. Yeah. It also you know? makes it a lot more interesting to read it as literature. At least for me, yes. it did. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Especially like, towards the end, reading Revelations yeah. as a, a book. Yeah, just mm-hmm. just wild. You know, even even if you're not a Christian, just reading through, seeing, just seeing some of the parallels and different things they're able to write into it, you're like, man, that was just it's good right. literature. If nothing else, it is good literature. It, it's well constructed. Yeah, using sort of a reservoir of ideas and symbols, and weaving that together, and these are symbols and 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 metaphors that people in the ancient world understood. They got it. They, 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 they could already appreciate, let's say, the literary element there, like in the book of Revelation, that it's sometimes hard for modern people, if we're like really rationalistic and evidence-based and everything else, that's where you get people saying, like, well, these locusts in the book of Revelation, they must be helicopters. Well, right? Or, or that, that's weird, <laughs> but that's, see, that's the modern mindset, because everything here must correspond to reality as we know it. Right. So there's there's a line twice in the book of uh, Revelation. It also happens in Psalm two that um, God will punish with a rod of iron. There's a church about an hour north of me. It's it's uh, it was founded by um, Reverend Moon's son. Remember, he's the sort of the Korean cultish kind yeah. of quasi Christian leader. But his son is starting this church and it's a church that advocates being armed and loaded and being ready for any time you have to defend yourself. Praise right? God. Yeah. And it's the rod Sounds of good. iron. That's the, that's their proof text because it's in the Bible. And rod of iron must mean guns. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's you know? a, that's the gun. limitation of having to rationalize ourselves again, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. The um, I mean, yeah. personally, the church I'm going to found will just be the rod of iron church. It's like yeah. Yeah. just pieces <laughs> of iron. Yeah. So sometimes baseball. <laughs> Oh, Although that name's been taken by above mentioned church, so just oh, be careful because they may come after you for taking their name. I'd hate for that to happen. Okay, I can't do that. And then, we'll the, you know, all Bible are going to start being printed with trademark after that phrase. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll be the rods of iron uh, revelations. Yeah. Oh man, but the um. So what? <laughs> getting back on topic a little bit. What the um? With that whole scholastic religious kind of divide that we've created. What what can people do to kind of bridge it for themselves? Like you know, a- average Joe listening is like, you know what? I, I want to see the scholastic side of my own beliefs, so I can kind of bridge that and grow as a person. How, how does he do that? Does he have to sign up to go to a college and pay all that money, or is there a way for him to just see yeah, the I mean, scholastic it's, side? It's, that's a great question, and I think it's not easy. But I think institutions are rising up that help people with that and for example things like you know research some podcasts that you like you know and yeah, pick five or six or seven 
Well, yeah, if they want to. I mean, I hope yeah. they do, but that might not be for everybody. You know, that, that might be too far down the road for some people, but, or not far enough down the road for others. But, you know, everybody has their niche. And, like, there are people out there talking about that very thing who are actually struggling with the engagement of our faith, which is rooted in an ancient story, in an ancient text, in a modern situation. You know, that is not a new question. That's almost the history of the last 200 years of biblical scholarship, trying to work through that kind of an issue. So the resources are there. I also want to suggest to people that, you know, I think reading the Bible is very, very important. But read a Bible. First of all, read a translation that maybe isn't apologetically oriented, Mm -hmm. like trying to defend things. And I do usually recommend, I mean, no translation is perfect, but I use the New Revised Standard Version which has its issues, because they all do, but it has far fewer issues than some other translations that I don't, I don't think do as good a job dealing fairly with some things that come up in, in translation issues. But, but not just the Bible itself, the translation, but also a study Bible. I think yeah. study Bibles are amazing resources because not only do they have footnotes at the bottom explaining terms and explaining, like, here's what's going on in this chapter, but they have charts and maps. And and really good Bible study Bibles have at the end, they have – I mean, I have two study Bibles that have about 100 pages of essays yeah. of every topic that might interest you. You know, um, like, what's the relationship between the New Testament and the Old Testament? That's a great thing to read about. Like you can get so like a Bible college or seminary education for about forty dollars. <laughs> you just buy a good study Bible, and you can learn an awful lot from that stuff. And so, what's a, do you have one you would recommend? Um, I have a couple. The the one that I, I use th- three of them sort of interchangeably, depending on just what mood I'm in. But um, the New Interpreter Study Bible. Is one that I use, uh, the Harbor Collins Study Bible. Um, actually, I'm going to give you five. The um, the New Oxford Annotated Bible. These are all New Revised Standard Version. Um, and then also uh, the Jewish Study Bible, which is obviously wow. just the Christian Old Testament. But some of the notes there are just amazing notes that that just really help that point out things from the text, because they use Hebrew, too. I mean, with English letters, and they explain what it means. They don't assume you know Hebrew, but yeah. they dig into the text in ways that, that um, you know, Protestant Bibles don't always do. And, and all those things have essays in the back, you know, which are amazing. The fifth one that might interest people is, you know, there's a Jewish study Bible, which is the Christian Old Testament, which is the Hebrew Bible. But there's also a Jewish annotated New Testament. Hmm. And I think it's actually called the Jewish Annotated New Testament, the New Revised Standard Version. But the footnotes are from a Jewish perspective to basically help Gentiles who read this stuff realize that the stuff that Jesus and Paul says, it really is rooted in the Jewish world at the time. And I think that's fascinating to know. And plus, they have essays in the back there, too, that I think are very illuminating. doesn't mean I don't agree with everything I read in the notes or everything I agree – I don't agree with everything I read in the essays. But that's totally irrelevant. (laughs) They make you think, and it's stuff there. And if it's something you're not sure about, just keep going. Don't worry about it. You know, people aren't always right. But those are, like, really, really good resources, I think, for just – 
and just having maps in the back. Oh, I and love you're that. reading yeah, through something in Exodus, yeah. and where is this place? You know, where is Moab? You know, where where are these places? And I've done that and, a lot and you while find it. to your podcast, actually. <laughs> like, I just sat there with a map going, oh, okay, th- that's what he's talking about. <laughs> oh, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. The whole yeah. Midian thing, right? Is that what you're talking about? The Midian, or the location of Mount Sinai or something? Or, I think uh, so. One of the yeah. newer episodes, right? Yeah. A few weeks later, yeah. But, uh, oh, I do have... A, one, while we're on Bibles, one last question on that, just because I'm curious. Have you ever read the uh, the New Jerusalem Bible? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't use it, but I have it. I have, it's I have a, a copy of it, yeah. It's a study Bible, but it's really interesting just for, like, how it translates for the purpose of making it read, like, the literature. And it's like, okay, that's... I think it's fascinating. Right. I like it a lot. Well, and while we're on that, you know, Robert Alter, who is a Jewish scholar, he... For about the past 25 years, he spent translating the entire Old Testament Hebrew Bible from Hebrew into English. And he does exactly what you just said. He he translates things in such a way that preserves puns, for example, oh, which always that. get lost in English translations. The puns it takes, and the songs are great. <laughs> yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Or even like in, in narratives and stories like, you know, in... And the story of David, you know, it uses this word here, and three chapters later, the same word occurs in Hebrew, and you really are to think of what's the connection between these two stories, but you don't get that in English translations. Those things usually get obscured, right? And that's why, if you're not going to learn Greek or Hebrew, which you're not, you know, most people are not going to do that, and and even if you do, it's a lifetime of struggling with it and really trying to understand it. You have study Bibles that are compiled and written and edited by people who did do right. that yeah. yeah and you can benefit from it oh, yeah. we'll see if we can get a link to all of those five study bibles you mentioned yeah and also generous. the robert alter translation you know um that's 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 a really good one to get to i think we'll see if we can put all those on our facebook post for this episode oh, yeah. and uh you should uh when you're done with exodus Definitely consider doing the puns of Psalm as an episode of Bible for Normal People. I'd love to listen to it. Oh, really? That'd be great. I think it'd be yeah. Fun. Some funny stuff. Uh-huh. You have to pay us if you use that idea, though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, 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 just <laughs> just at the end, just a trademark culture podcast. <laughs> oh man. But uh, so what will what will happen as more people start using study Bibles and start you know trying to bridge that gap? What will happen? Uh, maybe I think people would just become a little less on high alert for things that they have, they're not used to hearing about the Bible. You know, I mean, one thing I like about the Jewish study Bible, for example, it's like, especially when you're in the Pentateuch and, you know, it says something in Exodus and the comments like what Moses says here contradicts what Moses says in Leviticus. And you're like, oh my goodness gracious, no. But then you actually go look at those two passages and you're like, well, by golly, (laughs) they're right. (laughs) You know, so, but that makes you, and when you see that, hopefully the response will be, okay, I need to sort of take a step back. And, you know, frankly, I I joke with my students, welcome to adult Bible reading. (laughs) You're now reading the Bible as an adult, which is what you're supposed to be doing, and which I think the Bible is meant to be doing. It's not a children's book. It's not a youth group book, although the gospel is, Jesus is, the Christian faith is. The Bible itself is not meant to be mined for your favorite verses to justify what you think you ought to be doing. It's it's literature, like you said, it's theology, it's it's history, it's it's prophecy in, in the biblical sense of the word, not so much telling the future, but proclaiming something about God. It's 
it's songs, you know, it's weird apocalyptic stuff like the book of Revelation. It's, it's, it's biographies like the Gospels. There's so many different kinds of literature written at different times. To, to sort of wrap your arms around that, that takes – well, there's a reason why there are seminaries. There's a reason why there are yeshivas. This is not the easiest stuff to read and wrap your <coughs> arms around. You know, and we shouldn't make believe that it is. And and you know, there's no perfect place to start that journey of study. Start anywhere. You know, get a good study Bible. Pick any book of the Bible you want to read, and then read the introductory essay introducing that book, Jeremiah or Psalms or Colossians or whatever. And then I, what I do is this: I read a chapter or a section of a chapter if the chapter is long. Like sometimes you have divisions, right, like subheadings yeah, that people yeah. make up. I don't think they should be there, but there are. So I take a, <laughs> a section or a chapter, and then I read it, and then I go and read the notes. I said, oh, hmm. man, I missed that entirely. That's a really good point, which will make me go back and underline things in the biblical text itself. You know, and, and it just I just I like that sense of discovery and curiosity about – What's the Bible? Rather than thinking, I already know what it says. I want to talk to other people about it. So the average person can be intentional about finding out what the Bible says. Oh, absolutely. Also, there's um, yeah. always there's good commentaries too. There's um, one thing I personally I, I don't know if you've read it before. It's um, Songs by the Day by Alec Monier. It's like a devotional, but also a commentary on the Book of Psalms. Oh, good. No, I, I'm not familiar with that, but that sounds great. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a way of like not making yeah. this like yeah, it's like really a, like you're going to but school. Also Spiritually nurturing. Yeah. 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 Sure. It's, yeah. It's the Bible for normal people. Yeah. <laughs> that's good that's good yeah. But uh, yeah, that's good stuff. But Dan, yeah, we really appreciate your time and all all the input on that and how we can kind of start to look at bridging some of those gaps and have better unity across scholarship and. Laity was is that how you say that? Laity. Yeah, sure. that's a good word. Yeah, yeah. or uh, normal people. Yeah, for normal people. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. So, um, the last thing we do for the podcast, uh, we we like to just talk about our God moment of the week, which is basically anything God's challenged us with, anything you know we felt inspired by, any just good prayer moment, um, anything that you spiritually has happened in the last week that we've experienced. We just like to share for our listeners and. Um, Sure. Yeah, just, just yeah. To keep everybody, you know, in touch with what we're doing, and also, I think looking for those moments just benefits. It's benefited us to just kind of look at our lives more, honestly. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, there's a whole spiritual practice around that called the examine. You know, where at the end of the day you take stock of your day and stuff like that. But I think you know, probably a recent sort of thing for me that I just feel really good about is I, I found an app. Okay, you know, I I'm, I always am, I struggle with, like, the discipline of prayer and just, like, not in the sense, like, I have to do something so God likes me, but just starting a day more quietly, you know, even just for five or ten minutes. And I've tried a lot of things that are just hard for me to do, but this is, there's a wonderful app, and a friend of mine pointed this out to me, and I said, why didn't I know this before? It's called Pray As You Go. Mm, and it's I've about... 
Yeah, each lesson is about ten minutes long, and it's it's there's some music in there. It's in the background. It's usually beautiful church music of some sort, international, you know, global church music. So Africa and, and, and you know, all sorts of places. But also there's there's a Bible reading and a lesson, but also meditative questions that are asked. And I just I I've been I okay. This is if you knew me, you'd know how unusual this is. I actually look forward to starting my day that way. It's not really a chore. It's like I, this is like a nice, quiet time that sort of it does something spiritually that syncs with my personality, as opposed to some other things that don't sync as much. You know, so that's something that is, has been very encouraging the past, I guess, week or so. Nice. That's very good. Yeah, that sounds great, actually. Maybe I should yeah, that, that, that does sound fantastic. Which I'll just go ahead and use this opportunity to say next week. Or the week, yeah, the next week after we release this, we'll have uh, Donald Whitney on the podcast. Who's I know him from his book, Praying the Bible. So it's all about starting the book with the day off of prayer and using the Bible to do that. So that's that's really fascinating. Cool. Yeah. Um, did you want to go next, DJ? Sure, I can go next. Uh, my God moment for the past week actually happened today. Uh, oh, me too. I'm pretty. I'm a pretty simple guy. And uh, I just really like to appreciate God's majesty in nature. And today we were camping. We woke up on a mountain, hiked down. And, uh, yeah, We never went to the top, so we never got to see all of Charlotte from the top of Pinnacle Mountain. But on the way back down from our campsite, I just was almost overwhelmed by the beauty of this random spot next to the path. Yeah, and I just, it was really incredible to be able to see something that I thought was so inc- just amazing. And it's nothing special at all. You know what I'm really excited about with my God moment? Yeah. It's also going to be the train talk of the day. Um, yeah. yeah. Right. We, we do this thing every now and then where we just like to talk about trains. Which is okay. great for my God moment was this morning. I woke up at like 5 in the morning something like that and I just was not feeling good at all. And um, TJ and our other friend, uh, Mikey, shout out to Mikey if he ever listens to this. They, they, they stayed in the tent. They were asleep. And I was just out there and uh, I just got to where I was just feeling sad and I had no idea why. I was like, God, why, why am I so sad right now? And I just kind of prayed about it. I was like, God, if you could just do something to uplift my spirits, that'd be great. Because I just don't want to be sad for no reason. That train was at 5 a.m.? Yeah. Heard That's the whistle cool. blow and I was like, wow. Trains. <laughs> yeah, I do feel better. Yeah, I heard. That. I just immediately felt better after that. Yeah, I heard. That. Yeah. It, it was great. For me. So my, my God, Mullen was also trained. All right. Yeah. Two words, one strong. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. So remember, please follow us on Instagram, and Facebook. Oh yeah, and uh, Patreon. Uh, we Patreon. need money because big announcement. Drum roll, please. Uh, That's we don't too have loud for the microphone. Yeah, yeah, that would be bad. Uh, but. When we get to 20 Patreon subscribers, Joshua is going to wax his beard, and we're going to have a moment, and I am going to shave my head. Yeah, that is, uh, so let everybody know to uh, subscribe to Patreon. Mm -hmm. It'd be great. We are at six right now. If Tiffany is one of those 20 subscribers, I think I'll let her be the one who waxes the beard. I think she'd love to be the cause of that. But uh, that is our special announcement. You right. will get to watch us mutilate ourselves. It'll be fantastic. If so yeah, just you convince uh, other people to pay us money. 
Oh man, uh, some future guests, uh, Donald Whitney, which I already mentioned. Donald I'm Whitney. really excited. He's one of my favorite Judy authors. Um, let's see. Sister Sylvia Staten. Mm, Becky Walker again. I am brother That's McLaughlin. Brother McLaughlin, brother Jack White, yeah. and of course. At the end of season one. Lance Skipper! Uh, <laughs> Francis Lance Chan. Skipper. Francis Chan will be on our show at the end of season one. He just doesn't know it yet.